Welcome to Authority Issues, a podcast about leadership, management, and feeling grateful that I've already watched the worst episode of Deep Space Nine, and it's all downhill from here. I'm Rachel Perkins, aka Pie or Pie Bob. I'm into words, operations, cheese, and whiskey, and of course, leadership. Wouldn't it be uphill if it was already the worst? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. Anyway, that's okay. It's okay. And I'm Kemba Miller, here to remind you that if you were taking your very last final for college and all you had to do was pass this test to graduate and your pencil ran out of lead, I would only lend you half a stick of lead to be both friendly and also to exert my dominance. Just feeling inferior, are you, Kendall? Um, today on the <laughs> show, we're talking with Amy Chanta Surivisal, Director of Engineering at Unicycle. Thanks for being with us today, Amy. Thanks for having me. It's great to chat with you all. Excited uh, you're here. We are, and uh, we have a, a tale to tell about uh, audio-visual issues. Well, mostly audio issues, um, but that's for another <laughs> time. We would like to just jump right in like we always do. Uh, tell us about your path to leadership. Tell us where it started and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's see, where should I begin? Um, so I uh, am a self-taught engineer. Um, it was a, a hobby of mine. I dabbled in, in high school, uh, you know, built computers, built like websites. Uh, back in the times when GeoCities was a thing, I'm dating myself a little bit. Um, yeah. and, oh. I was in Beverly Hills, 902. No, that's not what it was. Silicon Valley. Anyways. Oh going. my gosh. Tokyo Gardens over here. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, you know, it was just a hobby. And then through college, I was helping the various clubs that, that I was in with, you know, updating their websites, their, you know, calendar of events and things like that. And so I just sort of like maintain like this low level, like, oh, I can do a little bit of web dev thing. Um, and then I got out of college and realized that at that point in time, um, there was nothing I could do with my degree. I, uh, um, I majored in environmental sciences um, and there just wasn't like a big green movement at that time. And so uh, I didn't have a lot of employment choices coming out of school. Uh, and so I just sort of like fell back on this skill set of web development. And you know, back in those days, it was actually kind of easy to get into tech. Mm -hmm. And so I applied to some listing online, got an entry-level role doing design and um, development work, uh, and realized I was really bad at design. As much as I appreciate good design, I am not a good designer. Um, yes. And so I just like, yeah, I just like went in all uh, on the development path. And luckily, it's, it's something that I really enjoyed doing, right? That, that instant gratification of you know, writing some code and then like pushing it out to the web and then having it work, right? And so... Um, <laughs> That was Hold never up. my experience. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it worked eventually. But yeah, the eventually. instant gratification uh, part is great. You don't yes, have to yes. compile a bunch of stuff, right? That was part exactly, of the Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and so over the course of time, I picked up you know some skills. Right? I started out purely doing uh, like CSS and HTML and like tables-based mm -hmm. stuff because that was that time, uh, that era. Image maps? Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, a bunch of that. And, you know, that was also like the, the age in which like everyone avoided JavaScript, like the plague, right? Because that was just not something that uh, really enhanced your, you know, your experience on the web at that time. And so, yes, I really am dating myself a bit. <laughs> I tried to convince everyone I knew in 2002 that JavaScript was going to be gone by 2004. Like there was no <laughs> right? future for it. It was a terrible idea. Gee, We're going to go all in on Flash. And I'm glad people don't listen. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
CGI right. Ben forever. Keep going. <laughs> Absolutely. And so then, uh, yeah, I mean, so I just, you know, picked up skills along the way. Um, sort of when I ended up uh, as like a senior software engineer doing, uh, you know, front end development still, but also in the course of time picked up, you know, like a bunch of programming languages as well, like PHP, ASP at some point. Uh, Ruby on Rails is kind of where I uh, kind of ended up uh, towards the end of my like IC career. Um, and then my path into leadership and management was really through being Scrum Master for my team. Uh, because at some point, as, as like a senior engineer, I got really frustrated with the fact that it was hard to ship software when your team was of a you know certain size. Once you get to a certain size, it was just hard because of logistics and communication and things like that. And so uh, I kind of took it upon myself to solve the problem for me and for my team. And so I um, started doing kind of project management by way of like you know, Scrum, Scrum Master, and like Agile um, kind of uh, development and training and stuff like that. Um, and that was really my stepping stone. Um, and I think I was really fortunate because for a lot of for a lot of engineers, uh, they take that leap into management because that's the way you climb the ladder and that's how you progress your career. And then they hate it, right? And then they're like, now what do I do? Um, I was fortunate because I really enjoyed it and I saw it just as a, a different way to, um, you know, to, to like help teams be effective and to, you know, like channel my own frustrations being an engineer and uh, kind of just thinking about how that was such a, at times, like frustrating uh, thing, right? To like be on a team and feel like you were just not doing um, what you needed to do and feeling like you just could be doing so much more. And so being able to kind of like unlock that for um, uh, other people on the team was like so huge to me. And so that's, you know, why I stayed in leadership. And I don't know, the rest is history. <laughs> well, so so give us some specifics about this. So you move into a scrum master role. Was this at the current company you're at? Was this at some place previously? Yeah. Was this 10 jobs back? And, and did you just go to your boss and say, right. hey, Scrum here sucks and I want to Scrum and I can Scrum better than you can Scrum and they made you a Scrum? <laughs> like, a like, what, what? Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, so at the time I was at One Kings Lane and this was uh, during a period of time when flash sales were like a really big, you know, like e-commerce model. And so um, they were like a rocket ship at that time. And so, you know, I came, uh, I really like cut my teeth on a lot of new skills at One Kings Lane, both as an IC and as, you know, as a manager. Um, so that was the first time I jumped into doing the Scrum Master stuff and management. Uh, but I, I would say, I don't know that I asked anyone. It's just like, you know, you see these gaps and these things that aren't happening for the team. And so you just pick them up because no one else is doing them. Um, and then at some point I was like, oh, this is like project management. I should probably find some sort of training, right? Um, and so then that's when I, you know, uh, like asked for some budget to go to, you know, uh, um, like, you know, Scrum Master uh, course and, and all of that and get, you know, my little, my, my certificates and everything. And so that was Ooh, kind of how certified. I go that way. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> certified CSM. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so you, you were like, just this team could be doing more. I, uh, and you, you said, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this was with someone you were already doing agile, but you didn't have someone kind of running the standups and organizing that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and that's when I sort of got in, or I developed this philosophy of, you know, agile, um, agile is like, well, it's, it's agile as a philosophy, 
not agile as like a process, right? Um, and so, you know, we had been doing Scrum and we'd been doing agile kind of, you know, by by the book, I guess, as, as you would say, but um, not really sort of embracing the principles behind it, right? Um, and so that's kind of where I felt like that was the thing that was like missing for me with, within that team. And so, you know, I took it upon myself to actually figure out what those core principles were and actually talk about that as well as the, the process that um, helps to reinforce those principles. Mm -hmm. So, so wait, uh, we've had an episode actually where we've talked about religion, but this is only the second time it's come up and you're talking about Scrum. Um, <laughs> like go, go specifically. Yeah. I mean, well, what are the things you're religious about in, in Scrum Agile? I imagine if you did it as a practice, you have some very strong opinions about what does really matter and what doesn't. And I'm curious, well, start there, and and then I have a follow up question about it. Sure, sure. Um, I mean, this is what people say about like agile with a capital A and agile with like a little A, right? Um, and so, in having rolled out Scrum now at a few companies as well, and learning more things along the way, I would say that my one strongly held opinion here is that um, you have to do what works for your team, um, and ultimately it's really about the self-reflection piece. So I feel like the retro part of Scrum is really the most important thing because mm -hmm. that self-reflection is really important to learning and the motivation to try something different, right? And to do things in a better way. Um, and really everything else is just, you know, there's a recommendation of what you should do, um, but if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. And you can take and leave what, uh, you know, what, what you don't need. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that the old definition of insanity, where it's like a, if you continue to do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, so so then my follow up question to that is, and and honestly, I thought, uh, I don't even know about thought. Kind of hoped for dogma <laughs> over, you know, like that, the problem with any experienced person. Well, as they end up with this, well, there's nuance and you got to figure out what actually works. Like that's, that's obnoxiously mature of you, Amy. Um, <laughs> the, uh, but I was, what I was going to ask, and, and, and maybe your answer is nothing's changed, but as a, as a manager now, as a people leader, um, is your religion about scrum different? Like, like when, how do I ask this? As a leader, you have to be practical about what works. And did you come to this conclusion like the thing you need to be religious about is what works for your team. Is that a result of you being a manager now in a leadership role? Or was that the way you felt when you were doing Scrum? Uh, you know, I, I'm like, yeah. I'm a little surprised by the maturity of that response. And I'm wondering when it came. What are you trying to say, Kendall? <laughs> I'm not saying you're immature. I'm saying when people talk about Scrum, I expect it to be like, you need to stand up. They need to be no longer than six minutes. You need to, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sticky notes that are pink or die. You know, I don't know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I think it definitely came over time. Um, and I would say it's even recent-ish, right? I would say even maybe five years ago, I wouldn't have said this, but I think just over the course of time, realizing that, you know, I've rolled out Scrum in places and then still seeing that, you know, it wasn't working wonders, right? And it was still like pulling teeth to get people to answer their stand-up questions or use the stand-up bot, you know, once um, Slack became kind of like a replacement for uh, like, you know, the, the in-person daily stand-ups um, mm -hmm. at times, right? And, and it's like, okay, well, there's like a point of friction here, right? Um, and so 
you know, it led me down this path to really think about, you know, what value does it bring and for whom? And if the team itself is working well and they don't see a value, the value in like a standup, then, you know, then why? Right. Um, is it for my own edification that I just need to get a status update? If I can trust the team the and say, yeah. yeah, you know, you are all delivering, you are, you know, um, you're doing what you say when you say it. Why do I need yeah. to know every day what's going on? Right. Because inherently I trust a group of people. Obviously, it's a little bit different if there are you know, some performance concerns um, within the team. But um, it's just like, I think, uh, a journey to get there and just kind of learning, learning these lessons as, as I go. Well, so, so perfect. This is a great answer, uh, first of all. So thank you for sharing. But um, you kind of glossed over when you were talking about your story of how you went from Scrum into more formal leadership right. roles too. Can you give us some too, of the yeah. details there? Like, did, did, was it the same thing? You go to the, you, you go get the training yeah. and then they put you in the spot? Or? Ask for it. Well, I was going to say, um, management training is something that is uh, severely lacking in our industry, right? Um, and mm -hmm. not something that I got either. Um, and I definitely fell into ma the management piece. Um, and I think it was just like a, a byproduct of because I was already doing process related stuff. The natural thing after that was to start taking on people stuff because it was like that intersection of, you know, I'm helping to roll out a bunch of processes, but then it's also based off of feedback that people are giving me. And so then I had this pulse on people and how they were either like happy about certain things, frustrated about certain things. And so because I was kind of like plugged in to individuals through the process itself, it was just mm -hmm. kind of a natural, well, I guess I should manage people. And it just happened because but, uh, startups. But you started doing that? And so then they gave you the title or your boss said, hey, Amy, you're already doing that. I'm gonna actually formalize. Like what was the action? Give me the, give me the nitty gritty. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to even remember because it was such, uh, you know, chaotic times, right? When you're growing and um, you know what? I, now that I think about it, what ended up happening was, uh, you know, I was doing a bunch of like Scrum Master work and I was also helping to interview and hire for the team. And then at some point I just owned the, the interview process. And that was basically how it happened, right? It's like, well, yeah. I'm already hiring people, so I should onboard, help onboard and like, uh, and then manage those people. And so, yeah, I, you know, I had a conversation with my boss and I was like, well, should I manage these people once they get in? <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's basically what happened. Me. And there's no rhyme or reason to it, right? Because you know, when you go from, right, we were uh, 25 people when I joined, uh, we were something like 150 by the time I left. And that was over the course of maybe three years. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like rapid growth. And um, I would say that was one of my first tastes of kind of like this, this rocket ship and like very little rhyme or reason when it came to promotions. And like, if mm -hmm. you asked, you would they would give you a title pretty much. <laughs> I remember those times. And it still yeah. kind of happens in startups. It totally. does. And what I'll say is like, I should not have been a director of engineering there. It should not have taken like the, the like they're, I, I am proud of my skills and like the things that I've learned, but also at the same time, um, going from a senior IC to a director of engineering in the span of three years, probably like not the path that should have happened. I don't know that that many people would 
admit that or or decide that was actually the case. Uh, especially not dudes, I have to say. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah I mean, I'm, I'm about to justify to you why that definitely is what should have happened. Um, <laughs> but uh, anyways, keep keep talking. Oh, I mean, my, my point was really just that it, it wasn't clear to me what it meant to lead mm -hmm. people, right? Um, and a lot of what I've done in my career is just figure it out as I go. Um, and a lot of people in their process of figuring things out don't necessarily, um, I don't know, I would say like prioritize the right things, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of uh, reasons around why tech is the way that it is and it has to do from and it has to do with a lack of kind of like training and and just sort of like teaching from a leadership perspective yeah valuing that part of the work the rigor of people management versus technical leadership totally mm -hmm, absolutely and so you said you um you are picking it up but you have picked it up along the way um what has been one of the hardest or most embarrassing lesson you've had to learn to get to where you are? And I mean, I assume you, you are currently a director of engineering and I, I fully anticipate that you feel, you know, you're more comfortable in the role now you've, you've earned it over time. Yeah. I assume that's how you feel. I hope that's how you feel. Absolutely. Um, what have you, what was, what was the hardest thing to learn or the, the, the most weird thing to learn along the hmm. way? I would say there were a couple of, of learnings and at different um, transition points, right? That transition into management was hard itself because that was like, a, oh, I, you know, I have to like give away the code that I've written now and like entrust that with other people. And that's always like a, a hard transition, right? Because, you know, you've learned to value yourself on your ability to write code and like ship features. And now suddenly it's like, okay, well now how do I evaluate you know, evaluate myself as someone who manages other people, right? And so I think that was definitely a hard lesson for me. And is, um, you know, it, luckily I get a lot of gratification when I do get like positive feedback from from employees. And so, um, you know, even though there was nothing, I guess, that I could like quantify or sort of like point at, I could say that, you know, there were um, like good relationships. I've helped people, you know, with their careers. Um, uh, and, yeah. you know, I keep in touch with a lot of my employees, uh, my old employees. And so I feel like that's, if they want to associate with me after we've like parted ways, I feel like that's a good sign. Definitely. People say like, you don't, you don't leave a company, you leave a boss, that kind of thing. Right. So, right. Yeah. That sounds but, right to me. But yeah, but on the other side of that, you know, I would say that some of the, the hardest learnings as I've progressed in leadership have been sort of this people who, who leave, right? And the reasons that they leave and, you know, no one has told me to my face that they've left because of me, but like, I'm sure it's it's a reason, right? And I've had to kind of like reflect on, you know, potentially how I've wronged certain people in the past um, and, you know, having done it unknowingly, right? And I feel like those are always really hard, hard lessons and, and hard things to sort of um, reflect on because, you know, you're forced to look at yourself and see mm -hmm. what you could have done more potentially, um, but, but chose not to. I mean, representing a significant percentage of the population here, I feel like it's important to tell you, you, you don't have to reflect on those things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, well, so I'm curious. Keep going forward. You, like, yeah, well, so so on, on the topic of going forward, like what, what does the future look like you for you? You've kind of, you fell into Scrum, you fell into leadership, you've succeeded at this uh, uh, grander than 
there's a lot of people who sit down when they're 21 and say, I'm going to be X when I'm, you know, 35 or whatever, right? Yeah. And that's their sole goal is to get there and they do everything in their career to get to, and it, it doesn't sound like that was the path you're on, but I'm curious mm -hmm. now, are you kind of like just content where you are and who knows, maybe you stumble into a CTO role someday? Is your, do you have headset that in 10 years you really plan? want to be founding something? Yeah. And you know what the future looks like? Um. The broad strokes, yes. Uh, I, I've definitely been able to approach each kind of shift in my career with more intention now, um, uh, you know, in, in sort of like recent years than I have in, in the past, because I think the, what I will say is like, you know, I didn't have a lot of mentors as I was like coming up in my career, right? And so I didn't know what a path in, you know, in, in tech looked like and, you know, what, where I could go as a developer, where I could go as, as an engineering manager and then, you know, like a, a director, right? And so um, I feel like I have a good sense of what that looks like now and what the possibilities are. And so um, I do have the broad strokes of a plan. And I, I would say in the near future, um, and, and one of the reasons um, why I joined Unicycle is that um, kind of the near term plan for me is to be able to prove that you can you know, treat employees as humans and acknowledge their existence and prioritize, you know, their well-being and their safety and be inclusive and still build great products that make money and, you know, build growing companies that way, right? I feel like there's um, a lot of people um, in recent years who want to be able to prove this and want to be able to prove that there's a different way to lead and manage that isn't, you know, this whole thing about, you know, like meritocracy and, and all of that. Um, and so that's sort of like what I want to prove over the next like handful of years. And then beyond proof, that, I'm proof not sure. Proof to who? Proof to yourself? Proof to, proof to the, world? The, in, the industry, the world. Yeah. To kind of like, you know, set, set that example of you can be people first and you can also be successful as, as a business. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's yeah. where I am. And what, that's where I am right now. Well, and is your desire to prove that also for the sake that if you can if you can do that and do that successfully, then when you go to the next place, you get to argue. No, I have seen this work. I get to. I, I want to build this this way because mm -hmm. it can be successful. And and a little bit of like, I don't know. I'm reflecting this morning on the number of conversations I've had with friends in the last week that are like we are filthy rich and we're all miserable. And, uh, you know, it, we're, we're all in these jobs where we're just trying to get even richer and nobody's happy. And, the, you know, the, the, the line where like, oh, maybe I could do something I'm proud of and build something I'm proud of and actually enjoy myself uh, and still probably make enough money. Like, not everybody's striving for that, Amy. It sounds like maybe that's part of what you're going for is like valuing <laughs> the things you actually value. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, because um, there there are a lot of problems right in tech and there's a lot of people who leave tech because uh it doesn't align with their their values personally um and i've been there before and you know uh like every time i am considering you know changing jobs or um you know switching um to like a new company is just like do i want to stay in tech i'm i'm pretty tired i'm pretty burnt out on like the the culture as a whole right mm -hmm. and um and i know there's a lot of people who are trying to get into tech too there's just like this abundance of people trying to break into into tech but i don't want sort of like this next generation of developers and people coming into tech um to come into it the way that it is now um you know i i want things i want to leave things better than than 
how they were when I arrived and oh, right. And, and um, <laughs> it's better than yeah. you found it. Yeah, yeah. Better than I found it for sure. And so, um, yeah, that's, that's really just my goal is just wanting to prove that. And the thing is, I've seen, I've seen some of these things proven out in bits and pieces in the various places that I've been. Right. But now I want to just bring it all together in one place and like all the good things in one place um, and, and prove that that can happen. Is there something specific about Unicycle that is that that like that's why you chose to go there? That's that's what you're going to be able to do. Is there a particular way they've given you yeah. some amount of power as director of, en of engineering to yeah to absolutely affect the process affect the environment? Yes, um, and I will. I guess I'll talk a little bit about my my job search. Um, so I had posted on Twitter when I was first started um, looking for for a new job. I like took a bit of a break from my last role, and then I was like, okay, I'm gonna post on Twitter and let's just like see what happens. Um, and so I like wrote this like long post about you know here are the things that I value, and these are the things that I'm good at, and here's what I'm looking to do, right? And a bunch of people reached out. And I talked to a bunch of companies and um, a bunch of founders and like you know leaders. Um, and what I realized was that I wanted to go to first and foremost like a smaller team. Um, and Unicycle right now, as of today, is is seven people. Um, so it's a very oh, wow. small team. And Lots I didn't actually, yeah, yeah. And I didn't actually anticipate um, going to such a small company. But what I'll say is, you know, even when I've been at startups and I've joined the team when you know engineering is maybe like 10, 15 people, there's already kind of like a set um, a set culture and like norms and processes established that. Um, you know, some of those things are good and some of the things like as a leader, I would want to walk back. Right. But in order to walk that back, that like takes time and a lot of buy in. And so you spend a whole bunch of time undoing a bunch of stuff that then before you can even like move forward on the things that you want to do. Um, and so small company, I think, was like one thing. Um, uh, second thing uh, was like diversity, equity and inclusion as like a core operating principle of the company. And so um, when I talked to Unicycle, the thing that really stood out to me was that um, the co-founders are really putting DEI work as um, as core to how they make decisions, how they decide to build the product, who they decide to hire. Awesome. Um, and that was something that I felt was really foundational, right? I feel like that is definitely core to how I think about leadership. And so um, that was like the Can't other you? really big thing. Can't you wait until a series B or C and then tack it on? I'm, I'm, I'm really could. not like this in regular life. I mean, I'm just playing That's so successful. No, you're uh, like this in regular life, Kevin. You totally are. You could. Uh, you could, and that's what a lot of companies do, right? But then but then you, you question whether, um, you question how important that really was, right? Is this a checkpoint? box that you're just trying to say that we do this and it's performative or are we really actually trying to build a business in a way that you know capitalism and all that stuff aside right is as equitable as you can make it be right um and if you don't start with that as a core part of how you build and run your business tacking that on becomes really difficult. And I've seen that firsthand, right? And, and multiple um, companies at this point. And so yeah. you could do it, but it's so much harder to do it uh, once you it's get to like your B or C rounds. It was like the other things you're talking about, about developing the culture. It's easier to start right at the very beginning. Otherwise you have to undo a bunch of crap that happened beforehand. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. 
I mean, I think like particularly as it relates to DEI, you're constantly you you will always be faced with the decision of do we hire fast or do we hire the way we want to hire? And uh, and when you're small, one more hire is 10% of your company, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's one thing when you're 500 people and one more hire, you know, is gonna move the needle a tiny bit, but it's, you know, and so when you make that decision and there is sacrifice early on, it, it, it does embed itself in the culture for a long time. It also gets easier because if you value it out the gate, it's, it's not like pulling teeth later on where it's like, are you sure you want to come be the first woman to work here? We are not just white men. We are bearded white Absolutely. men. Absolutely. Right. <laughs> right. Um, right. Exactly. And, the most diverse name on this team is Steven instead of Steve. Sorry, go ahead. Um, <laughs> Steven with a PH. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Fancy. That's right. Yeah. And, and I'll say it's been a very different experience um, onboarding and, and being a, an organization where you don't have to have diversity one on one on one type of uh, like topics, you know, with the team. It's yeah. like when you say certain things like you say ableism and everyone understands what that means. Right. Um, you say performative and they're like, we get it. Um, and a lot of the times, um, you know, on, on some of the other teams I've been on, it's just like, okay, let's like take a step back all the way to the beginning and start, you know, our journey from there. And, you know, I'm not a DEI practitioner and like, I, you know, read a lot and I learn a lot and so I can speak to it, but I, you know, I guess like shouldn't be in a place to teach the rest of the leadership team, uh, these concepts, right? I mean, we should learn them together and we should rely on, you know, the, the experts, uh, um, to help as well, but. You know, I, I don't think I should be in that position of, um, I don't know, being an authority on, on that. Yeah. So I feel like you're a little bit uniquely qualified to talk a little bit about the difference between a, a junior leader and a senior leader. You've, you've, you've got this interesting background and you seem very introspective about this. So I'm just curious, like, how do you think about that? What, what, what sets a more senior leader apart? Hmm, that's a great question. I think that, at least in my own experience and, and what I've, um, I don't know, like the, the, also the trajectory that I've like kind of mapped out for myself is that someone who is in, uh, you know, earlier in, the, in their leadership career is someone who's gonna be more into sort of the, the day-to-day nitty-gritty of process. Um, and then as they progress through their career, they're gonna get more into sort of like the, the planning and the strategy piece of things, right? And so a lot of what I spend my time doing these days is like, yeah, I mean, I can still do, you know, like Scrum Master stuff and like, you know, lead process and talk about, um, you know, how to actually operationalize a bunch of stuff. Um, but what I see myself doing more these days is really like the long-term strategy of how do we build an org? What are the, the values and the principles that we have as a team? What are the behaviors? that reinforce or like help to um, validate those those values and principles and then you know how does that show up in how we work as a team and actually just like then codifying a lot of that right just defining you know what like the north star is and who we are and how we work um and so it becomes i think a lot more strategic in in that nature um as as a leader's like a career progresses and then you know, and then you have to start thinking about, yeah, like hiring and budgets and all of that, that kind of comes with it too. And so that's what I've seen um, uh, as like the difference uh, in, in my own career anyway. Well, like looking more to and, the future rather than looking at what's happening right now in front of you. Right. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, and, and carrying the, the things that really sway the future of the company, everything from the budget mm -hmm. and how you can screw money up now and cause things to tank to, you know, the cultural decisions that are going to affect things for a long, long time. I think right. the, the reason I press a little bit on this is um, I, I know a lot of people that downplay that, well, I'm a senior leader, but in a small organization, I'm like, but you, like <laughs> the weight of your decisions, honestly, like if you're a SVP at a Google, it's very unlikely you will pick Google out of business by a mistake. And <laughs> you, uh, honestly, down, yeah. you can burn shit down if you're not careful at the Absolutely. size company you're at. Yeah. So I think there's a there's a weight to the reality of the decisions that yes. is significant, even if it, the implementation details are different at scale. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Anyhow. Well, I, I so, want to move on. Go, I have a question, Kendall. <laughs> yes. um, so you've spent, you know, it sounds like you're, you're a self-taught engineer. And you're also pretty much a self-taught leader um, because, you know, there's a dearth of training, as you mentioned. And I always ask people, you know, did you get training when your company asked you to step into a leadership role? Um, when, so you've been out there looking for, you know, have you, have you read a bunch of books? Did you take any courses? And uh, what is the best or worst leadership advice you've received? Oh, goodness. Uh, okay, let's see. Where do I want to start? Um, so... Uh, I, so I do read, uh, you know, like the leadership books and the ones that are like popular out there. Um, and you always like take all that with a grain of salt too. Right. Um, and you, uh, think about how maybe it has or has not applied to your own career just by nature of, you know, the types of like companies that you've worked at and, um, and so on and so forth. Um, strangely, I feel like I've learned a lot through Twitter and social communities just in general, um, because. Wow. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I, I realized that it was, well, one is really important to like curate who you're following. Um, but um, listening to just listening to people, I guess, on social media, doing more listening than talking for, for a good portion of um, sort of like the, the time when I was like still learning uh, was actually really, um, really important. And, uh, you know, the way that I lead is very, you know, people centric, right? And so I I do do a lot of networking. I try to, but I try to connect with people like in a real way and talk to them about you know, where they are in their careers, where they're looking for, what they're looking for, um, what they get frustrated by, right? Because I feel like when I hear about frustrations, that's where I start to get kind of like these ideas and like get into that, that problem solving mode, right? So that's like, I guess maybe the engineer brain <laughs> coming back in of wanting to figure out how to solve problems and after having talked to a bunch of people, you start to see patterns as well, right? Um, and that uh, these patterns that kind of cross uh, industries, patterns that like uh, transcend, um, you know, the different companies that people may be at, that's a bigger pattern of just tech in general. And so I feel like I just um, have done a lot of my learning by just listening to other people and talking to other people. Um, but what I will kind of like add on to that is um, I took, you know, I took a couple months off between roles. And so in that time I was doing um, DAI re related trainings and courses, um, but as it pertains to like, you know, being a manager and a leader in tech. And I felt like those were actually really beneficial as well. And just like a, a great way to um, refine my, you know, my own like mm -hmm. philosophies and values as, as a leader um, and, and to learn about how, I show up as leader and how I, you know, I might be perpetuating uh, a bunch of um, inequitable practices. Yeah, the impact you have on other people. 
absolutely just in general it's it's kind of what leadership is about <laughs> so right. digging deep right. into and, that sounds like a really great way to learn yeah yeah because ultimately you know as a as a leader even if you you know hire and manage one or two people right you ultimately have power over those people and like their careers and like their salaries, right? And their livelihood. And so there's a responsibility to really understand, you know, what motivates them, how you can help them, um, and potentially what you may be doing to help or to get in their way, right? <laughs> um, it's like a, it's yeah. a big responsibility. And, you know, it's, I think too many people don't take it seriously enough. I agree yeah. with you. Well, I was I would guess that in particular DEI training is so uh, you're talking about the weight of the leadership that you have in general and um, I think that a lot of understanding that weight is just the ability to empathize and DEI training is in such a large part just understanding the way that other mm -hmm. people see things that aren't like you and right. uh, so that you can empathize with them which which I would imagine you know yeah is super helpful um just in general as a leadership practice but yeah, absolutely um, so, this, so this dovetails nicely it's something you said a minute ago about like it being a power you know the situation where you have a power imbalance and wanting and dei really underscoring that learning about that uh one question that we ask all of our guests and why our podcast is called what it is uh, is what is your relationship with authority how do you feel about having authority over other people and how do you feel about others having authority over you yeah it's um it is it is something that exists right uh because we are living in a capitalistic society um and it's just sort of like the history and yeah right and the, sort of like the history of i guess like management and like kind of like uh the practices that we we have right um all of that is just sort of like I would say like based in a lot of like, uh, well, racist history, first and foremost. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And so, you know, it's like, it's, it's like a complicated um, relationship for me because ultimately, you know, we all have to like live and exist in this world and the world is what it is. And, you know, um, you know, I'm trying to change it as are like a lot of others, but you still have to exist in, in, in that. Right. And so when it comes to authority, it's like, yeah, you know, I have authority over others and others have authority over me. Um, and so the way that I think about it is how can I use it responsibly? Um, how can I, yeah, basically try to put employees first, right? Um, as much as humanly possible, because sometimes you get put in positions where you might have to make choices that are not great mm -hmm. for the employee. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of like guilt associated with that for sure. But, um, you know, being kind of like mindful and cognizant of the authority that you hold and to kind of use that to really empower and um, allow your employees to, to succeed. That's, that's kind of how I look at um, the authority that I have and what I can use it for. Um, and so that's just, yeah, that, mm -hmm. that's how I think about it. Yeah, yeah. Big responsibility and you want to use it to lift others up whenever possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like there's that whole, you know, if you're moving up the ladder, you should not like pull the ladder out up with you exactly <laughs> that kind exactly. of thing yeah yeah and do you feel yeah, you like you have you're a at different... the top and you empty the Yoink. hot oil in your backpack right um <laughs> yeah classic kendall um 
do you have a different relationship with authority that, uh, than you did when you were a kid? Do you feel like you've evolved that, or do you always think you've had a pretty kind of balanced approach? That's that's a hard question. Um, did you did I you, did you have trouble when people told you what to do when you were young? <laughs> I mean, I I didn't right, and that's uh, definitely a like part of the the upbringing uh, that that I had, and it, there's like a cultural piece to it as well. And I feel like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I feel like I've been trying to uh, undo, I guess, a lot of that internalized like belief around like what authority is, what it should be, and like the whole like following the rules thing. We should um, have it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm definitely still not uh, great at it in some some respects, right? Like, um, but working on it. Always a work in progress. Yeah. yeah. I feel like it should always be kind of uncomfortable to have authority. You, you know, not necessarily yeah. something you should be showing everyone that you're uncomfortable, but if it's not uncomfortable, then then something else is wrong. <laughs> That's Absolutely. my opinion, anyway. So. Well, if it doesn't weigh on you uh, heavily, then then you've forgotten that it, you know, it can affect people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's <laughs> like I mean, people ping me. I, I got a message um, Sunday night from a friend that said, "Hey, sorry, I've been not communicative. We had to let somebody go on Friday, and I'm not doing well." Right? And That's like, a bummer. Yeah. Uh, it was a pip process, and I think we handled everything right. But you know, and and I my response is always. If you ever get to a point where you're firing people and you don't feel bad about it, that's when you need to worry. Like it should right. feel bad. It should be. Yeah. It should be scary. You know, if, don't yeah. don't do it so much that you become numb to it. And you're like, ah, oh, fuck that yeah. guy, right? Uh, <laughs> that's that's a problem. Uh, but extreme uh, okay. circumstances well, so, for the fuck that guy situation. <laughs> well, definitely. There's definitely times where that's okay. Uh, well, Amy, so so pivot a little bit. What tell us a little bit about life outside of work? What keeps you busy when you're not uh, focused on you know leading things at, at Unicycle? Oh goodness! All right, so um, I will also mention that I have ADHD, so I just get attracted to like shiny new projects all the time, um, especially especially at home. So. <laughs> So let's see, what have I been up to? So while I was in between uh, jobs, I mean, there was like the DEI like training that I was doing, but I was I also like picked up woodworking. I was doing a lot of gardening. Um, this week, my new fixation is learning how to do macrame. Uh, so it's just like working with my hands in general, but like I have a hundred hobbies um, that are all, I don't know, that I like have half mastered or at least I bought all the supplies for and maybe have done nothing with yes Yes. i watched a lot of youtube tutorials (laughs) Uh uh-huh exactly Uh, yeah um but but i like working with my hands i think that's always been sort of a kind of core to to myself as well right just that that create creative and creating nature um and so i just like to to build things and i like to see things go from idea or like conception uh to a you know that something you can look at and you can handle um and so if i'm not you know uh you know if i'm not doing things on a computer i'm doing something with my hands baking as well baking and cooking to do in meetings you're sitting there like you know well it's interesting to me my my son is very add and uh my wife bought him like a set of rubik's cubes like triangular ones four-sided two-sided three-sided you know 
And he will just sit down and because it's something about him working with his hands like that. And it's the one thing that, I mean, he can spend four hours on it and solve a puzzle that there's no way in hell I could ever solve. And he's got the patience for this one thing that I just, I do not understand. And uh, let me yeah. ask one thing about the woodworking. Like, are we talking little pipe. tiny hand chisels? <laughs> are you, yeah, right. Well, what are you making? Are you big saws? Are you making gigantic tables? Or are you yeah. handling spoons? So I'm also, I guess like the, maybe this is my, a bit of my upbringing as well, but I'm also like kind of frugal when it comes to certain things like that, where I'm like, well, I want to just see how far I can get with like, just like a, like a circular saw or something. Right. And so I like held off a long time on buying a lot of, um, you know, a lot of power tools or anything like that. I did buy a lot of like wood, but like, <laughs> um, yeah, now it's really on, like, expensive. Right. I know. <laughs> Um, and so uh, I held off on a while, So, but I, I have a circular saw now, and I have like a sander. Now I have a miter saw. That was like my one big purchase for myself. Um, wow. But yeah, I've built like uh, like a, two picnic tables now. Um, actually, I'm going to grab this. I know, and I know whoever's listening in won't be able to hear this, but I am working on some shelving right now. Um, nice. And so this is uh, also something that I've been doing over the last like so just a, a simple little brown shelf, but it looks like it's stained or painted nicely. And it it is. You, uh, yes, you, it you is. You do the details. Stained. I do the I do the details. Yeah. Um, there's going to be like macrame um, that will be oh, uh, used to support it, and yeah, and hang it up. That's and awesome. so yeah, this is all um, it's all related. It's one thing leads to another. Wow. It's like, oh, like this looks like a cool project. And oh, look, there's like a macrame thing involved. So I'm going to go Mash explore up. that. Exactly. Um, and I'm sure the macrame will lead me down, I don't know, beadwork or something. Who knows? Fantastic. Awesome. That is super cool. Well, thank well, you so, so very much for having us or for, yeah, this for was, being this on the show with us. <laughs> for having us uh, well so yeah thanks so much for being here i mean this was great we got to wrap up for time's sake but where can people find you on the internet if they want to know more about you yeah so i am on twitter i am uh at amy chanta so a-m-y-c-h-a-n-t-a -A. um that's probably where i'm most active on social media so follow me there all right we'll put that in right. the show notes and also, if you think of anything else you want to share with anyone, happy to add it. And apologize for misspeaking just then. I've been up since 4.30. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>